Uh, we're reading today from Acts chapter 5, verse, uh, uh, verse 12 to 42. Um, the apostles heal many. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No, no one else dared to join them, even, the, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were, and were added to their number. As a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets and, and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and told the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they have been uh, told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sandrian, the, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we, fa we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the, at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then, then someone came and said, look, the, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with the, his officers and brought, the, and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before Sanhedrin to be questioned by the whole high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his, in his name, he said, but you have filled Jerusalem with all your teaching and are determined to make the guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as Prince of Saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claimed to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the, presence, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. 
Let them, let them go for their purpose or activity is of human origin. It will fail. But if, if it is from God, you will, you, will be not, you will not able to stop these men. You will, you will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for his name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen. Thanks, John. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all, and uh, lovely to be able to continue in our series in Acts. This is, uh, this is week eight, I think, of ten. I feel like we're really getting through this series quickly, um, but it's been great to look at the book of Acts. Today, I want to talk a little bit about power. I'm hoping my slides are on there, Rog. They should be in the schedule. I think I dropped them in during the week. Are they, are they popping up there? I'll, uh, I'll press on. We'll, uh, we'll keep going. Roger's on the, Roger's on the job. Um, yes, there we go. I want to talk about power. And I, I, I've been talking about Holy Spirit power a bit throughout the series. And Acts, it comes up a lot. But today I want to particularly talk about authority, power and authority. And it's particularly interesting when you see contrasting levels of power. And we see this a lot in the world, I think. One example that came to my mind, for some obvious reasons, is when there's a power imbalance between children. You might see, for example, older children who are making life a little bit tricky for younger children. And for the younger children in that situation, it feels like whoever those older children are, they have ultimate power. There's nothing they can do. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're more clever. But then a parent or a teacher walks in and everything changes and it becomes very clear who really has the real power and authority. Just a few words, the whole situation is changed. One example that came to my mind when I was thinking about this idea of contrasting levels of power was my time when I was involved in university politics. This is a couple of years ago now. And I was a representative on the, one of the union representative committees, student representative committees for two years. And at these meetings, we would have union departments that would come and they would present to us some very interesting, quite creative proposal that they've come up with for you know, positive change for the uni. Um, sometimes they're a, bit, they're a bit wild, but they would present these proposals very passionately, very clearly, and we would weigh them up. Usually the committee would vote for them. I wasn't always um, in the majority, but usually the committee would say, yeah, this is great, let's do that. Often these ideas were quite expensive. And it seemed like a done deal. It seemed like well, we were the student representatives, this is a union matter, deal's done, right? It went past us. But then, and this would filter back to us later, that the group presenting would have to go to the union CEO, the, the sort of businessman who actually paid the wages and worked out the staffing and what was going to happen in the union. Um, and he, they would, again, present very passionately to this gentleman, explain that the student committee supported the idea, and more often than not, the union CEO would say, no, that's not happening. That's, that's not happening. <laughs> not going to spend that money. And that was it. There was no sort of recourse. That was the end of the deal. It was funny, as the student representatives, we often felt like we had power. We had decision-making power. 
But really, when push came to shove, it soon became clear where the real power lay. Today, we get this great example of God's power compared to earthly power, particularly human power. And even more than you know, parents and children or teachers, even more than union CEOs, any other example, we see the contrast is enormous between God's power and really any other power. There's two examples we'll look at. But the other thing that really stands out in today's passage is how people respond to God's power. Some are closed. They're closed to what God might be showing, while others have eyes that are open. They're willing to see God's power. Because God's work isn't particularly hidden, especially here. It's visible for those with eyes to see. Let's look at the examples. Here's, Here's the first one. The reading begins with this wonderful summary of the miracles of the early church. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. It says the apostles were doing signs and wonders, and the believers were highly regarded. People knew who they were, and more were becoming followers of Jesus. And the healing ministries we're kind of getting some pretty incredible examples here. Remember just a couple of chapters ago, Peter healed a gentleman who was begging at the, at the gate, the temple gate, a wonderful example of God's power. But now we're reading that they're even laying mats on the street so Peter's shadow might cast over them as he walks by. There's implication here that even his shadow might be enough to heal them through God's strength. This is the kind of stuff that Jesus was able to do, wasn't it? Remember the lady in the Gospels who just touched the corner of Jesus' cloak believing that his power would heal her, and it did heal her of an unstoppable bleeding. And that final verse, I think, is extraordinary. It says, Crowds gathered from around towns, from the towns around Jerusalem, bring their sick and those tormented by impure spirits. And all of them were healed. All of them. Well, how on earth is this possible? Well, this is a continuation of what we saw a couple of chapters ago. In chapter 3, when Peter did heal that gentleman at the temple gate, He made it clear that was being done by the power of Jesus. It's Jesus' work through the Holy Spirit. This is how Peter explained it when the crowd gathered afterwards. He said, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. And at the end of that episode, you might recall the disciples, they celebrated and they prayed to God. And this was part of their prayer. They prayed to God, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What we see today in the back end of chapter 5 is God's answering that prayer. He's answering that prayer. He's doing just more and more amazing signs through them, through the power of the Spirit. And it's leading to greater renown for the name of Jesus, more and more people knowing about God's power and, and coming to faith as well. It's a great example of God's power, isn't it? Real authority here. The power of God to to heal bodies, to make them whole again. This is the first example. But there's a second one as well, and it's quite extraordinary. A short while after this healing, the apostles are arrested. But then something happens. Here's, Here's what it says. 
the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they'd been told, and began to teach the people. They're locked up, but an angel frees them from their cells. We still don't get the exact mechanics of how it happens. We find out later the doors were, were locked or locked again. But I think the strangest thing about this entire passage is what the angel doesn't say. The angel doesn't say, right, you're free, now get out of here, get out of the city, lay down, get into hiding, you know, avoid this happening again. The angel says, just go back into the temple. Go back and carry on preaching, and they do. And I think this, maybe more than even the other example, this really shows God's power, doesn't it? God's authority here. The, the power different. You see how God operates. There's no kind of lightning from heaven in this example. There's no dramatic confrontation, apostles versus Sanhedrin. They're arrested, they're put in jail, and then they're released. The angel just opens the doors and sends them back to preach. It, it's almost like the, the best efforts of the Sanhedrin, they're just an annoyance to God and his plans. So easily dealt with. In fact, they don't even miss a day, do they? They're sort of arrested in, in one day. By the next dawn, they're out there preaching again. It doesn't even slow down the mission at all. It's like God sees them just going into prison and thinks, no, I don't want you in prison at this point. I'm just going to open the door, send an angel, and out you go again. We don't get a lot of sort of detail about the initial decision to uh, arrest the men, but I suspect it was pretty carefully thought out, pretty carefully planned by the, 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 um, the Sanhedrin. You can sort of imagine them wringing their hands, deliberating, should we do it? Should we go for it? Will it be okay if we arrest them? And God resolves it just without a second thought. Doesn't even need to raise a sweat. Swings the doors open and out they go. What I love about the passage as a whole is these two examples of God power, they're so different, aren't they? They're vastly different. One is like a, almost like a biological power, power to heal, to turn a decaying body or broken organs and to repair them internally. And the other, it's like a, a civic power or a political power to open doors without fuss to guide the apostles to freedom. But they show how high God's power and authority is above anything else. And the people who know this, that see the difference most clearly, it's the apostles, isn't it? They know. They know God's power. In fact, when they're arrested, this is what we read. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. It's another example of contrasting power, isn't it? The human authorities had the power to kill Jesus, but God raised a dead man from dead to life again. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. But it's pretty clear here. He says we can't disobey what God has called us to do, to share about Jesus. Because Peter and the apostles, they know who has real ultimate power. So he says, we, we must obey God rather than humans. I was a, a little while ago, probably last year sometime, I spoke a little bit about civil disobedience. Uh, and this is one of the kind of key examples that comes up when that topic is raised. In that message, I, I spoke about this really helpful principle for Christians to consider when thinking about civil disobedience, that Christians are to disobey authorities when they 
forbid what God commands or command what God forbids. And both of these instances are pretty rare. Certainly in Australia, they're very rare that these come up. Uh, But they do occasionally. But certainly in this example, it's very clear, isn't it? The authorities are forbidding something which God has commanded. Jesus told his followers to go and make disciples, to tell them the good news. And the authorities say, no, you have to stop. You can't keep talking about this. And so the apostles' response is, we must obey God rather than human beings. It's a challenge for us, I think, isn't it, to acknowledge and follow God's power like the apostles. And where it does clash in those rare examples, to follow God rather than human authorities. What I think is more common, perhaps, than these clashing is where authorities kind of flex their muscles in a way that might make God or even us uh, a bit angry or a bit sad. There might be examples you can think of even now. Now, we can respond to these in a lot of ways, I think. We might get angry when we see authorities flexing muscle in a way that goes against God's desires. We might fret, we might be tempted to demand change, might even post something angry online. Uh, I certainly get that feeling, I understand that that desire, and I want to say there is definitely a time and a place for speaking out, demanding justice, especially when there's cruelty that affects others, people who are vulnerable, people who are oppressed. It's good and right for us to stand up for what's right. We don't have to be silent. But the other thing I see from the apostles here is they didn't worry, they didn't worry, they didn't demand the authorities take back the ruling not to speak about Jesus. They didn't try to bring a court case for unlawful flogging against the authorities. Maybe they knew that would fail anyway. They just went on about their business, didn't they? They just went back out there and kept telling people about Jesus, knowing that they serve and follow a God whose power and authority is so much higher than those human authorities they've just squared off against. I think it can be pretty hard, but I wonder if we can have a similar peace in our hearts about the power of God. Yes, laws will be passed, policies will be enacted, and we can speak up as needed. But ultimately, God's power is so high, so far above others, that we can trust. We can trust in God and follow God rather than human authorities. But I want to say, despite how obvious God's power seems in this passage, I think both in the healings, amazing healing ministry, Everyone must have known about it in the city. And this escape from prison, which is extraordinary. Sadly, there are some who are so desperate to cling to their own power that they do not see what God's doing. Immediately after the healings, it says, the high priest and all his associates who are members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They were jealous. Remember the extent of the healings I just described? All who presented were being healed. Even Peter's shadow, apparently, God was using for healing power. The Jewish authorities, they don't sort of sit back and go, wow, this is amazing. We've got to, we've got to look into this. This is extraordinary. They, they don't try and even examine the healings, trying to search out veracity. Are these legitimate? Get some backstories, work it out. They don't think, let's have a sit down. Let's have a sit down with Peter and the others. Let's talk about what's happening here. Let's work it out. No, they're jealous. They wish they could do this, and they wish they had the following that the followers of Jesus are now developing. They're jealous, and so they put the apostles in jail. We then get that episode of the angel freeing the apostles, 
And how do the Jewish authorities respond? They've just seen another amazing act of God's power. Are they awestruck? Are they intrigued? How did, this, how did they escape from prison? The doors were locked. The guards were still in place. <clears throat> None of that. No, they just arrest them again. Uh, and we read this. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. There's no interest in the miracles, is there? There's no fascination. They just repeat their demand. Do not talk about Jesus. And the apostles give their reply, which we had a look at a, a moment ago. And then we read again, this, this is the authorities again. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. It's amazing. They're so angry, aren't they? They actually want to kill the apostles for healing people, for doing miracles in Jesus' name. And then finally, Gamaliel gives his speech. We'll look at that in a sec. He, he does convince them not to kill the apostles. But even so, we read this. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. There's still this act of power, isn't there? This flex of muscle from these authorities. The apostles are flogged. And then again, there's that order. Do not speak in the name of Jesus. What do we see here from these authorities? Well, they can't see Jesus' power, can they? They are blinded. They cannot see it. They, they refuse to see it. They're so desperate to cling to their own power. They're jealous and they feel their role as leaders of God's people is under threat. And so they want to put this movement to an end. Kill the leaders, ban the name. That's their plan. See, they've got their own little kingdom, don't they? They've got their own little source of power. Even while under Roman rule, they had some power. They, they had power among their own people. They could dictate use of the incredible temple complex. They even had the right to arrest. They had their own temple guard they could call upon. It's pretty amazing to use as needed. They don't want to give that up. They do not want to give up that power. And so they close their eyes, they block their ears, they close their minds and hearts to the pretty obvious and incredible displays of God's power. It's pretty sad. The question is, do we see this kind of response today? People who are unwilling or unable to see God at work. I, th I think we do, and it, it is a sad thing. Today we see people who encounter God sometimes in a pretty powerful way, but they'll still reject God out of the fear of the change it might make in their life. One biblical example I think of is the rich young man that Jesus bumps into. And he's pretty convinced about Jesus, about who Jesus is, but he's unwilling to let go of the power and security that his great wealth gives him. And so he walks away. I think there's this inherent human desire that is in all of us, really, a desire to be king, to be the, the ruler even of our own little realm, even if that kingdom is very small, maybe only the size of our human self. And I should say as well, for some people who have been disempowered in the past, particularly maybe through abuse or structures that have trapped them, that freedom, that small amount of power they have is quite understandably very hard to relinquish, to say to God, even a God we know who loves us, to say, Lord, your will be done in my life. Lord, I follow you. For some, that's just a bridge too far. You might even know people in your own life that you would describe in this way. And I suspect, like it does for me, I suspect it breaks your heart to see them desperately clinging to their own version of power and freedom, refusing to see or hear about the God 
who loves them. Let me encourage you, if there's people like that in your life, do not stop praying for them. Do not give up praying to the God of love for people who cling to their own little power. Continue to love them and pray that God might show His love through you. So that's one response we see to God's power. There is another response, and it's those who have eyes to see. And we see this twice. The first group is those who see the healings, and they hear the apostles' explanation of what's happened, and they turn to God in faith. This has already happened back in chapter 4, hasn't it? This was the first healing um, that that Peter did of the, the man at the temple gate. And it said, many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. As I said that week, these healings are signs. They're signs pointing the people to Jesus. The, the thing that people believe in, it's not exactly the miracle, it's the message that explains what's just happened, what God has done. The gospel, the message of Jesus as Lord. And thankfully, in today's chapter as well, many, it seems, see the miracles, they hear what it means, and they come to faith. The other person with eyes that are open in today's passage is Gamaliel. I want to read this section. This is a fascinating little guy uh, from verse 34. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel. Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Interesting case, isn't it? He he gives these two historical examples, one of Theudas, one of Judas the Galilean. Two movements which failed and ended once their leader had died. And his argument here is, purely human movements do not stand the test of time. But movements that last, movements that, have, that do stand the test of time, likely have God's power behind them. So he says, let's not waste our energy. Let's not waste our fatigue exhausting this movement. If it's only a human movement, it's going to disappear. It's going to disappear anyway. We don't have to worry about it without our intervention. But he says, on the off chance that God is in this, on the off chance that God is in this movement, we don't want to be fighting against it. He says, let's just stand back. Let's just wait and watch it's a great little speech, isn't it? And, and it does make some sense. He says, let's wait, let's watch, let's see whose power is at work here. Is it human power, which is ultimately fairly weak, or is this the power of God? This is the question he poses. Well, as you would know, the Jesus movement did not die out. It did not die out like the movement of Judas or of Judas the Galilean. Instead, it grew and grew, and today... Maybe 2.4 billion people profess faith in Jesus. What does this one mean for us? Well, these are examples of people who have eyes to see God's power. And the question I want us to think about is, can we give people something to see? Can we give people something to see? Because I want to be clear, if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus and people know this about you, you are being watched. 
You're being watched very carefully. It might not feel like it. You won't see you know, like a Chinese spy balloon in the sky or, or a drone overhead. But people watch Christians. Some will watch Christians to try and trip them up, to, to poke a hole, to find an inconsistency. But many will watch, watch Christians because they're intrigued and they want to see if following Jesus makes sense. Many people watch Christians like the people with the sick friends did. Many people watch Christians like Gamaliel did. Looking at disciples, looking at the church and asking, could God be in this? Could God be in this? Looking for evidence of God's power. Again, I spoke a couple of weeks ago about how sometimes we yearn for a big obvious healing, a miracle we can do, something so clear to point people to Jesus. But the reality is God's power is at work in lots of different ways. The question is, what might this look like? What evidence, what clues might people see? Let me give you a couple of examples. One way, one idea I was thinking about this week is the way we talk about God's work with friends that are Christian. I think we quite rightly will often thank God for things he does in our lives. Little things, big things, moments of joy, moments of comfort or peace. Maybe a moment where the timing of something worked out really well and you know God was in it. Or the right passage was given to you or a word was given to you at the right time. Helpful words spoken. You know God was there. We love sharing these examples in our small group, for example. Examples of God's power at work in these small ways. And we thank God for it. My question is, and it's just a question, I wonder if we can be more explicit about this sort of thing with friends who don't know God. Can we freely talk about what God's been doing in our lives in little ways, not necessarily expecting them to agree with us, but letting them hear that we see God's hand at work. Maybe some of them might find it weird. Maybe some people, you know, that's just not going to be a good idea. But I wonder, there might be some where you think you can help them see God's power at work through your own personal witness, through your awareness of what's going on, and they might be intrigued. Remember, in Peter's day, it wasn't necessarily the miracles that led people to faith. It was what he said about what God had been doing, the gospel that drew people to trust Jesus. I wonder if our message of God's power in our lives could have a similar impact. Another way, uh, secondly, we might give people a glimpse into God's power is in what we do. Can we do things that show God's at work in our lives? Maybe we just simply seek to bless people with God's strength might be something you do as a good friend or as a good neighbor, providing a meal, caring for someone who's unwell, someone who's troubled, getting alongside someone perhaps who's in a difficult situation, being that friend that they will turn to first because they know they can trust you, someone they know they, that cares for them. Can we be that listening ear, the non-judgmental friend, to offer to pray for them perhaps? might be something even more formal like swap it or mainly music or the food drive, Blessing people in our community in a really tangible way. Because people are watching. And since we know people are watching, it might be the way we even just model our life as Christians. Maybe living lives of deep love and trust in God. Maybe despite our outward circumstances. Or when we love those who are hard to love, the marginalized. See, people like Gamaliel are watching us. And good on them. Good on them, can I say wanting to see if God's power is there, wanting to see if it's giving us a heart for others, giving us confidence to serve and love, 
giving us new affections, giving us a deep peace and lavish grace. Or looking to see if this is just a human thing, just a social club, an interest group, a human movement. To use Gamaliel's words, to see if our purpose or activity is of human origin or if it is from God. I want you to take a moment now, just for a minute, just before I pray to close. Maybe just think of an example in your own life, an instance where you might be able to give people something to see. might be in the way you speak about what God's doing in your life, or it might be through something more practical and tangible. Let's just take a moment to think of an example, bring it before the Lord, and then I'll pray to close. Lord God, today we give you thanks and praise for your power and your authority. Lord, we acknowledge that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Your power and authority and glory is far above any other, particularly any human authority. Lord, it's almost laughable the difference when we consider human power compared to your might. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged in this. I pray that you would encourage us and help us to remember that we worship and follow the God of great power. And Lord, I pray that you would help us like the apostles to trust in your power and that when this clashes with human authorities, that we would follow you. Lord, we pray for those who might cling to their own power in the world around us and and not be able to see your power at work like the Sanhedrin. Lord, these are people we love and these are people you love. And Lord, we pray that you would have mercy on them and you would open their eyes to see in the world and Lord we pray for those who do have their eyes open to see that are willing to consider who you are and your power people like Gamaliel Lord I pray that you would give us boldness and clarity and wisdom by the power of your Holy Spirit to give people something to see that they might see your power and your love at work in us and they might know this is not a human movement but this is from God In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to have a final song. Uh, This is What the Lord Has Done in Me, a song reminding us uh, that God